today on the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Yeah, I mean, I would fantasize about being a guest on Letterman, but it wasn't like I was, yeah, like I didn't have a specific path. Yeah, I, you know, I teach people, like I coach people. I'm teaching this workshop about how to break into TV and then how to keep in TV once you're there. And one of the things is it's just a winding road. I don't know if other careers are like that. I haven't done other things, but it's just so much of this thing. I have this job now. I meet these three people. In two years, one of them resurfaces and was like, hey, you did this thing for me once. I really liked it. Admiring. Like there's just so, it's just so random and so if you do the work at the highest degree you can do you will be successful but not in a way that you can predict because of rita i got on the news because of rita i had 15 speaking engagements last year because of rita i've become a six-figure business owner because 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 of rita i've doubled my revenue by doubling my clients i'm rita business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and vlogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show, where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Welcome back to another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. And I just want to say, Ethan T. Berlin, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks so much. Glad to be here. I like the show. (laughs) You know, I had um, like really sat down for like 10 minutes trying to prep a really funny and engaging like intro Mm -hmm. for you. And then I was like... Just forget it. Like, I'm just going to do the most boring intro ever. Like, Ethan, welcome to the show. Because I have no way of being funny, which is why you're here. Hopefully, you're going to teach me how to be funny. And also, um, I could not match your your comedy, so I just went the opposite. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Yeah. Like, like it's Ethan. So, you know, the first question I'm going to kick off with is, who in the hell do you think you are, Ethan? (laughs) Uh, I I boiled it down to, uh, I'm someone who makes funny stuff. Somebody who makes funny stuff. I make TV shows, I make kids' books, I make podcasts, I make uh, local access TV shows, I make funny iPhone apps. So so that's what you do. Yeah. That's what you do. Okay. But who are you? Oh gosh, Rita. Ah. Who am I? I'm uh, just a simple man from the suburbs of Virginia uh, looking. Uh, I'd, I'd like to get another dog, a couple dogs. Okay. Does right. that? So just a, what? a simple man. Who are you? you? What, your husband? Your husband? I'm a husband. Yeah, yeah. I got a wife, yeah. Kimmy. She's upstairs. Uh, and then I have two kids, two boys, both in uh, the world. I don't know what I was going to say there. I didn't have an <laughs> ending word for the sentence. 
Um, no, it's okay. Yeah. I just I find this question yeah. fascinating, and you know the DC area. I mean, you're you're from this area, yeah. and so whenever you ask, like, "Oh, who are you?" People always go to what they do, yeah, or other did. labels, yeah. like I'm a husband, or I'm a dad, or sniper. I'm a friend, or I'm a yeah. Yeah, exactly, or that, oh, or I that's very DC true. Sniper, I forgot about that. I'm a military sniper. Military yeah. sniper. Well, um, well. but people are like, and it's a hard question to answer. Like, who? are you well yeah. that question came from a mutual friend of ours graham was like, i know graham oh, he asked on facebook yeah yeah he was like that's the way that's the question i was like that's how i'm kicking yeah. it off right now now before i even get into the interview i'm going to tell you that there were two disappointing facts that came to light before our interview there well yeah. more of them will come out <laughs> Don't worry. so disappointing fact yeah. number one you just worked on a TV show called Blind Date, mm. not the show Love is Blind. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. yeah, you were disappointed. My wife just watched the, all of Love is Blind last night. <laughs> I haven't watched any of it. Uh, I've only heard everybody talk about it. So then when I saw, I was like, oh, great. This is perfect. Yeah. Good timing. That show's like hot. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, womp womp. Well, like, on. Blind <laughs> Date's on Bravo every night. Uh, great show. Lots of funniness. I yeah. want to talk about that show because Bravo's a great station. Yeah, they, and you're alongside of the Real Housewives, yeah. right? So it's pretty cool. Um, the second disappointing fact was <laughs> you and I did not go to homecoming together. And I'll tell you well, why I, knew that. I say that. So I didn't. You didn't so know that? I, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you. I found this photo. It was a little bit ago. I found this photo of us. We were at a homecoming. Mm. You were dressed up and I was dressed up. And and I, I came across it. It was like a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I was like, oh, did I go to homecoming with Ethan? And I was like, maybe, maybe we went as friends. Mm. Maybe it was like a thing. I don't remember him being in my house, like to pick me. I, but I was like, I guess I did. It wasn't until I was cleaning out my garage later I found the rest of the photos, and I had gone with Mike Webb, and I had oh, not Mike gone. Webb's great. Mike Webb's great, right? And so I was like, oh, um, oh, all this time yeah. I thought maybe I got a homecoming with like an Emmy nominated writer uh, you went even better mike webb's and yeah Army. mike webb's pretty yeah, yeah. He, he's pretty cool Army too thing. but you know i you know but i was like oh i my whole like i just felt like i had built a story on a lie i was like <laughs> but anyway we looked really cute in this photo i'm sure we yeah, yeah we i'm sure it looked yeah great. so <laughs> so if you guys can't tell listening right i've known ethan a long time i've known ethan since i was in eighth grade um we went to junior high together went to high school together we were in theater together and I mean, Ethan, you've had me laughing since I was in the eighth grade. But I've watched as you've done all of these, all of these incredible things over the past. I don't even know how long. I mean, twenty something well, years. Well, it's been, since been we've four been or five years right? since eighth grade now. <laughs> yeah, four or five yeah. years since eighth grade. Since we we were in the Hob Hobbit. Were you in the Hobbit? No, no, you were not in the Hobbit. No, you were not allowed to play with me. Okay. Yeah, I'm not allowed to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> Witchcraft. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was in the Hobbit. Surprise, surprise, right? It's like they looked at me. They're like, right? you're a lead and Hobbit. They're like, you're the shortest. Yeah. So, whatever. No, they put me, I was Balin, and they put me in a barrel because I could fit inside the barrel. And then they rolled me during like the great escape from like the dragon or whatever. And it was all because I could fit inside the barrel. That was why I remember that. I once got to play Santa on a TV show because the guy who was supposed to play Santa was too fat for the Santa costume. <laughs> And I was just fat enough. 
just right. Yeah. You were just right. I mean, see, our skills have nothing yeah. to do with it. It's all about our appearance. I mean, why not? Look at us. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're amazing. Um, but I've watched you do these things, right? Like you've done stand up. You've been a writer, a producer. You've created TV. You've been on TV. You've created TV. It looks like to be on it at mm, some point. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. And, you know, you've published this book. You teach comedy. You teach improv. Have you ever had a job that isn't entertainment based? Uh, you know, I had, you know, starting out, uh, you know, I've done like, uh, temp stuff. I worked at the Getty Center in LA for a while. That was fun. Uh, What'd you do there? I had to enter reservations into a database from one database to another. It was wildly inefficient. The, the external system didn't coordinate with the internal system. So they hired a bunch of temps just to print them out and retype it. Why was that the job that you took? I mean, were you like funding your actor comedy life with temp jobs like we see on Lifetime television? Is that what was happening? I so actually it was sort of an, it was intentional. I had been a production assistant, which is the the uh, for the most part, the entry level job into TV. And I'd done that for about two years and I liked it for about a year and a half. And the last half of the year, I, I wasn't didn't feel like I was learning anything and wasn't progressing. And I made a conscious decision that it didn't feel like I could move up the ladder any while still doing that job. So I intentionally applied for temp jobs so that I would have more time to write because when you're a PA, you're usually working about 16 hours a day. I didn't have any time to do anything else. So I just got a nine to five job. And about four months after that, I got my first writing job. So, okay. So we lost touch except through like Facebook land, right? When Mm. I I'm, I'm older than you, but not much by a year, just a year, whatever. It counts. It counts. It really, trust me, it really counts. Um, But I graduated. So I left you behind in high school. Thanks. It was good. It was good times. And, um, and so I don't know what like your trajectory was after high school. Did you leave mm. high school and just go, okay, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to be a star. Where mm. did you go to school? Like, I don't, that yeah. piece is like MIA about you online yeah. about where you went to college or did you go to college? Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. <laughs> that, that piece is MIA in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't do well after high school emotionally. It was tough for me. I, there was a lot of people who were super excited to get out of high school, get out of the parents' house. I was not. I was not ready for that in any way. And uh, I went uh, to the University of Virginia sort of by... That's uh, a really good... You did good. You graduated yeah, You graduated yeah. with good grades. Congratulations. I did, I did good. I, I'm, a, I'm a good boy. I yeah. uh, study hard. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I wanted to go to TV school, and uh, my parents couldn't afford it. And uh, it was just a rough time emotionally for me as a li- as a little boy. And I didn't have any. I just wish, like m- my kids were doing a lot of work, coaching them on emotions and how to process emotions. I didn't really have any of that, and I just kind of floundered for a couple of years and was was real miserable. And Eventually, my third year of college, I, I studied abroad. I basically had an I wanted to drop out, and my parents were not in favor of that. Yeah, I could imagine that Mrs. Uh, Furman was <laughs> not in favor of that. 
so the compromise was I, I would study abroad to get out of UVA is very good academic record for someone like me who's um, enjoys fun uh, that doesn't involve alcohol yeah. or uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I've said plenty of negative things about it over the years, but I think a lot of it was about me. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't for me. Uh, it wasn't a very creative place. It was not mm, just people were serious and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> serious and drunk. That's a bad guy. I mean, the whole yeah. point I thought of getting drunk was yeah. to be less serious. So. Yeah. But, you know, you all I mean, you were always creative, right? I mean, the one yeah. memory I mean, I have, I have lots of memories of mm. you of, from school, but the one that really always sticks out in my head is like the day you created Brown Day. Oh yeah, in school. Do you remember that? You just like yeah. you rolled into school. You were dressed like head to toe, and, and then it became mm. like a thing. Was that? Yeah, I can't we remember. Had brown Day we, every year. Brown Day every year. Yeah. It was incredible. But you were always. Just, but were you kind of? I mean, this might have just been mm. my interpretation of you. Were you pegged in school by teachers as like? just the class clown and kind of like the the disruptor of class. I kind of remember that about you, but I'm not 100% sure that that's true. Uh, I lost class clown officially my <laughs> senior year because, uh, what does that do? Some dude named Tim just got real into weed and started doing all this crazy stuff that I couldn't Freaking Tim. With. Yeah. Freaking Tim. Uh, but I don't know. I was sort of beloved by teachers. I mean, you can have a follow-up conversation with them and fact check it. <laughs> I, should, I should do like a whole documentary. Uh, <laughs> day. Just go around and interview all your teachers. But yeah. but you're right. Like, And that's what I remember about you, right? Yeah. You, I felt like, not that you got away with stuff because you weren't trying mm -hmm. to be bad, but like teachers loved, everybody loved you. Teachers loved yeah. you. Everybody loved you. So you could actually get away with more than what I would have been able to do in school if I had like said certain things or just like kind of made a big disruption in the middle of class, I would have been like kicked out. Yeah. But if Ethan did it, right, then it was funny and it was good and everybody loved it. Right? I was, uh, and I'm seeing it with my kids too, I was grown up and I'm very intellectually grown up. And I think teachers was like, oh, or, you know, this is a quirky kid. He's fun. Uh, but then they, uh, emotionally, I was not at all. I was not ready for life. Uh, but uh, yeah. I'm yeah. amazing. Yeah, so you're we pretty. Yeah, you. I mean, that's why you're. I can't believe it took me so yeah. long to get you on my podcast. Yeah. But um, but so <laughs> you were floundering, which a yeah. lot of comedian, good comedians mm. actually do. Right? Um, who is the comedian? I mean, the uh, Chris uh, Chris Gethard. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, and all of his comedy mm -hmm. is about depression mm -hmm. and like anxiety, suicide, right? Like really dark yeah. stuff. But like, it seems like that sometimes from that dark place is like where some of the best humor comes out of it. But you were you were having this dark moment, and you you but you you said that at some point you quit the job to do the temping to be a writer. So yeah. when did you know that like writing was what you wanted? to really go after and do. So there was a time you were thinking about it. Maybe it was a hobby, more like a hobby, and you were working something else. And then you said, no, I'm going to go all in on this, right? And that's, you know, my friend, the, the all in entrepreneurs, mm. the community I run. So I like to focus in on the moment that people decided to go all in on something. So tell me a little bit about when that was for you when you're like, no, this is it. I'm going to, I'm really going to do this. Well, Rita, I'm glad you asked. Okay. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I started doing plays in fifth grade and there was nothing else I ever wanted to do 
or was good at doing other than making funny stuff. It was sort of what I did all throughout school. I was in these gifted programs and they let you do weird gifted projects. I got away with a lot, as you said. Uh, I So after college, I got a job at a production company in Virginia editing videos for the Washington Capitals. Let's go Caps. Yeah. And then I moved to LA. There, you know what? There wasn't a moment because there wasn't anything else. Yeah. Like it so, was, that but, was it. But you did decide I'm getting out of this job so I have more time to write. To me, That's right, true, yeah. to me, that might not be a big, huge aha, kind yeah. of like you're sitting on your couch and a light shines mm-hmm. down on you. But that is like a commitment to, mm-hmm. to saying, I'm freeing up space so that I can do more of this thing that I really want to put myself into, right? And that's that can be a little scary because you're you're giving up a dedicated kind of income, however much that was from the job that you had, right? For like temp income, which isn't mm. that consistent. And so and it's also kind of like putting, you know, putting that line in the sand like I'm not I'm not going to turn back like this is something that I'm really going to do and and what I love a little lesson I'm already pulling out that I want to share with my audience is that you picked you still had a full-time you were still doing nine to five temp work you you didn't you weren't like that's it I'm just going to go broke and I'm not going to have any money I'm going to live in a box and like pour myself into my art you were like no I need to eat and I need to like buy toilet paper so I have to do in that order in that order (laughs) in that order right so that I have to do this thing but you did pick a job that supported what you ultimately wanted to do in terms of the time, right? Giving yes. you the time and the energy. Yeah. Um, were the temp jobs, were they career? I mean, were they in the same entertainment industry type stuff that you did? No, no. but that was great. That was the, the sort of the whole point was to just do something I didn't care about in any way. Yeah. Uh, the, the longest one I did was at the Getty Center and it was fun. I liked the people I worked with, but it was just super brainless super didn't have anything to do with what i wanted to do so what were you right like when you said you wanted to go all in on writing then mm-hmm. what, what what were you writing uh i started making these so when i was working in that production company in virginia i learned how to use a couple of pieces of software one is called adobe after effects and i used that to make these weird animations in my apartment and that is mostly what I was working on at that time. And basically I would get, I could get home by seven and then I had, you know, from seven until midnight to work on whatever I wanted to work on, on those animations. And then I would just get up, go to work, come home and keep doing that. So that's how you started. And now you're like this Emmy nominated, <laughs> like, right. Um, big time, like TV show creator yeah. and star. And so what was the journey between mm. point A and point yeah. Z, like how long was it? But it like it's not so much. I mean, yes, the logistics are important, but like I imagine, especially when I think if I had gone all in on being an actress, right? Because I was going to mm. be this big. You know, we all left sure. Maria Harris's theater class at South Lakes High School thinking we were all going to be, and only like me, you, and Adam Ace really became super wonderful, famous people. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm sure there are other famous people from Maria Harris's class in our year, but like, but I was going to be this big. I I just knew what I was going to 
be on play. I was going to just, I was going to be this actress. And, and so, but I didn't because in my mind way back then it was like, gosh, that grind and that journey of going from like waiting tables and like auditioning Mm -hmm. to when I'm actually going to be basically, um, you know, uh, Kate Hudson, that was going to (laughs) be a really long journey. And I didn't think I had what it took to do that. So Knowing that you kind of struggled, knowing that this was a thing, like, how did you go from, I'm just coming home from 7 to 10 and I'm writing, Mm. to, and I was nominated for an Emmy? Yeah. Uh, Well, I would say a couple things. One, I didn't ever have the um, vision of how hard everything was like looking back now and if someone had handed me like here's what's going to happen over the next 20 years i probably would have done the same thing and been like oh i don't want to do that uh but i just wanted to get paid for doing funny stuff so much and it was really the only thing i was miserable unless i was doing that that it was really there was there wasn't anything else. Just whenever I had a job that wasn't being funny, it was a nightmare and then like really, really bad for me emotionally. And that alone was the thing. It wasn't about achieving success, whatever that is, but it was much more about the day to day of, I got to do the thing. I got to do this thing or otherwise I'm uh, going to not be here anymore. Like this is like, I can't, I'm real bad at tolerating uh, just uh, bad. Just put jobs. a period there, like tolerating. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just bad real bad at tolerating. I'm just real bad. But but yeah. I say that a lot, right? Like that at some point, the mm. trade-off, right? Like it's is mm. I could either be like uncomfortable and fearful and whatever, trying to work my way towards the thing that lights me up, or I can be miserable and uncomfortable doing something I hate. And that misery has got to become heavier and more than like the discomfort you're going to go through to get to the thing you love for you to actually do that. Like I listened to your, when I was listening to some of these episodes of yours, I liked your story about being a lawyer. I didn't, uh, you know, about how much you uh, didn't like that. And Yeah. How you were, yeah. My dad had a, my dad was a lawyer his whole career, and he had the same. He had the same I've thing. never met a lawyer past yeah. year five that's yeah. like I love what I do. Yeah, <laughs> never, right? So uh, yeah, you it's that misery, right? Like you hate it so much, you have to get out of it. Yeah, the I'm trying to think. There's a couple of things I wanted to say that we've you've asked me and I've avoided or haven't nailed. Uh, one I wanted to say about when I left being a PA and making that decision, there was somebody at some point that told me never be afraid of quitting a shitty job because you can always get another shitty job. Amen. And <laughs> that was such like empowering advice. And when you're out of work and you can't find a job, you're like, wait, that's crazy. What? Uh, but at the time, it's it's enough in my mind. To, it's always been the thing in the back of my mind that's pushed me when I'm like, you know what? I, th- I think I've learned everything at this stage. Now I just feel like I'm repeating and I think it's time to move on and I'm not going to grow. Let's go. I'll get I can come back to this if I have to come back to this. And that's the other thing I would say is. 
if you're getting pigeonholed, which happens because if you're good at one thing, people are like, hey, we need someone to do that thing. And they're like, hey, you're good at that thing. Keep doing this thing. Uh, that will never stop until you say no. So until, you have to set that boundary. Yeah, you got to leave. And like I have a friend who was um, like a researcher at the Colbert Show for years and he kept submitting to be writer. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, we, we are on path to be a writer. Well, you know, eventually. And then he quit and got a writing job on another show. And like four months later, they called him. We're like, hey, you got to come back and be a writer. And just to me, it's like when you sort of say, I'm not going to do this thing anymore, then that's when you get to go to the next thing. Uh, and that's, I mean, that was in an episode I had two episodes ago. I was interviewing a publicist, Katie, and she'd been in the news, right? Production mm -hmm. and stuff in the news. And she said it, it was the same thing. It was like the minute that she said no mm -hmm. was when, right, she was able to grow everything, grow her business, grow her career, mm -hmm. grow her client base, grow, was by saying no to all of these yeah. different things, which I'll, I think it's so hard for people to do. It's hard for people to, to say, no, I'm curious because you said, I just didn't even think about it being hard. Like it wasn't in my head that this was going to be a long struggle or a journey mm -hmm. to the, to the top. Did you, what was your vision for what that path looked like for you? Did you see, were you like, I'm going to create TV shows. I'm going to be like, did you have that? Or was it more just like, I don't even care where this takes me as long as I'm just in this world. Yeah, I mean, I would fantasize about being a guest on Letterman, but it wasn't like I was, yeah, like I didn't have a specific path. You, I, you know, I teach people, like I coach people. I'm teaching this workshop about how to break into TV and then how to keep in TV once you're there. And one of the things is it's just a winding road. I don't know if other careers are like that. I haven't done other things, but it's just so much of this thing, I have this job now, I meet these three people. In two years, one of them resurfaces and was like, hey, you did this thing for me once, I really liked it, I'm hiring. Like there's just so, it's just so random. And so if you do the work at the highest degree you can do, you will be successful, but not in a way that you can predict. Yeah. That's yeah. a huge, I mean, that's a mic drop a moment right there, which is just, I think that that's kind of what sabotages at least a lot of entrepreneurs from, from my viewpoint is they're so attached to the, not only to the end result that they want, but to the path that's going to get them there, right? Mm. So they're like, this is the way it's going to happen. I'm going, and I call that kind of like linear goal setting. It's not yeah. like a real term, but it's like, this is it. I've got it all mapped out and this is how it's going to go. And the minute something doesn't go according to that plan that they've figured out, they're like, oh, this isn't working. Well, I guess that's it. Like, I'm just going to wrap it up. This wasn't the thing. Or they just freak out and get paralyzed because they're, but instead I tell people just know the end result is coming, but you don't know when or how it could come from anywhere. I mean, my favorite mm. thing to say is I'm going to be a multimillionaire business owner right now. I don't know when, I don't know mm. how could the money come from the things that I'm planning in my business plan and the things that I'm doing. And yeah. Sure. Could I also go out on the street and some person comes up to me and is like, I heard your podcast and I want to invest multimillion dollars into, into you and your, your brand and your business. Like, and yes. your guests. Yeah. My guests like, right. Well, <laughs> I want to be on TV. So that was something yeah. where I was about like, like, everybody's like, you're like Rachel Ray. I, I don't know mm. if that's a compliment or not. I still haven't decided if I like that or not, but they're like, you need to be, on TV, and I'm right. like, I have never thought about 
that. But like, I would imagine it's the same thing. Like you just know it's going to happen. And then you let go of the attachment to when or how and you show up mm. and you do the things that you need to to do to be great or excellent in that industry. Right. So that's what you've been doing. And it eventually right got you. When was the first kind of you were like, like to you, was your mm. a big breakthrough for you in the industry? Well, I mean, it was when I had that temp job. So go back a little bit. So I was a production assistant and part of my job, I worked on a bunch of Comedy Central shows. Part of my job was delivering videotapes. I, I had to, uh, they used to have these things called videotapes. Yeah. And <laughs> my job was to take them from the production office, sit in traffic for about an hour driving across LA, deliver them to the Comedy Central office. And there was a woman there named Zoe Friedman, who was our an executive who I worked for. And she got to know me and she knew I wanted to write. And at some point she gave me an opportunity to do a writing submission for The Man Show, which was on at the time. And this is a big winding road. They uh, did that. They didn't hire me for it. They sent me a rejection letter, which is unusual. You don't usually get rejection letters. Uh, usually just hear nothing. <laughs> oh, so they, they took time to yeah. reject you on paper yeah. and writing and for you to read over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, on the side of it written by hand was uh, someone had written, hey, we like your packet. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, who was the producer of, Man- of Mancho, he's just starting this other show on ABC. You should submit to that. Nice. So uh, they called me a couple of weeks later. I submitted to that. From there, I got an interview uh, I was not hired for that. And then I got another interview with them on Jimmy Kimmel to um, be a writer's assistant. They didn't hire me for that. And then I got another interview to be a writer's assistant on another show that Kimmel runs called Crank Anchors, uh, which is a puppet prank show. They didn't hire me for that. Uh, then they I got another interview uh, to be a script coordinator, and uh, they didn't hire me for that. But then they paid me $500 to do a writing submission for Crank Gankers. It was my first time I was doing a paid writing submission. And I was at that temp job. And because I was at that temp job, uh, when you have writing submissions, they're always at the the, the least convenient time. So if I was a PA, I wouldn't have been able to do this. But since I'd done this temp job, I just called in and I said, I can't come in for two days. And then I did the writing packet. And I got an interview off of that. And then they called me the next day back when I was at the temp job. And they said, uh, hey, uh, we love it. Can you start tomorrow? And I said, yes. And then I called the temp company. I said, hey, this is my last day. And they said, well, can you just see if you can get an, like, can you give us a week? And I said, yeah, I'll call back and let me find out. And then I just hung up the phone and sat there <laughs> for five minutes. Uh, and then I called the temp company back and I said, ah, they said no. And then they said, well, you'll never work for us again. And I said, uh, that's fine. That's what and, I hope, right? No. I didn't. So yeah. uh, let's dig it because yeah. that whole, that story yeah. is everything. The 
the no, the no, the no, the no. But you didn't stop. The no's did. So what was your mindset back then when you kept getting the no's, right? You you kept going, but were you sitting there like, I don't think this is going to work? Or were you like, no, okay, cool. Like, this is just the way that it goes. Like, how are you feeling every mm. time that you got the no? Like, and how did you keep moving forward? Because I know that's so hard for so many mm. people. Uh, just, I'm sure I was bummed at the time. I mean, every piece of that, was uh, confirmed that I was worthless, uh, which was internal monologue, which occasionally comes up. Uh, again, I've done a lot of work in therapy to work on that, but yeah, uh, I don't know. There was nothing else. There really was nothing. There wasn't, it wasn't that I was driven. <laughs> it was the only thing I knew and cared about. Uh, yeah. It just ran deep. It was just like, okay, well, then I just have to keep doing this thing and do it and showing up for it, right? I mean, that's it. You just kept showing. Up. Were there things that you had? Did you have this, like friends, a support network, other people going through the same thing that you guys would get together and kind of like soothe, self-soothe each other, or, you know, whatever it is yeah. that like comedians and and actors and entertainment people do to get together to be like, this is like, ah. or were, was it just you doing your your thing? I mean, I can't I can't imagine you didn't have some kind of support back then but maybe not uh yes i mean that was a yeah because when you're a pa you're friends with other pas and so that was you know and you're all trying to you're all at the same point you're all at the the bottom rung and you're all trying to get wherever you're trying you know different people are trying to do different things but for sure yeah the, you commiserate and you get excited slash jealous when other people yeah. <laughs> have opportunities. Other, yeah. How did you, um, cause that in the entrepreneur yeah. world, right. There are two things like the, the, when people are like, no, thank you. I don't really want to work with you. Like, no, thank you, Ethan. Mm. I don't think I'm going to hire you for comedy yeah. coaching or whatever. Right. Like mm. that defeats a lot of people after just mm. a couple of no's. We're like, well, see, I'm not meant to do this. Mm. And so that's it. The other piece of that is, um, it, and I've totally now forgot mm. what I was going to say, but it, it's that idea that they let, things just kind of stop them mm -hmm. and then they'll watch other people around them. That's really what I was going to say. They watch the other entrepreneurs yeah. that were their peers, right? Yeah. Start getting opportunities or they mm -hmm. look at people who are already successful. So they're like, oh, like brand new entrepreneurs will be like, but Rita, mm -hmm. I don't get it. Like you're doing this and you're getting this opportunity and you're, and I'm like, I have been doing this for so, so, yeah. so long. You just started yesterday. Like, you've got to wait, right? You've got to wait. How did you stop that comparison to other people so that you wouldn't get defeated? Or again, was that just not a thing in Ethan's uh, I moved. I moved from L.A. to New York. Ah. Uh, it was one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons was everyone I knew in L.A., I lived there for nine years, almost every person I knew through work. And so my entire social life was work and it was very hard to separate those two. And I was tired of like, I'm going to go on a hike and get away from it all. And then there would be like supermodels hiking past you talking about their screenplay. And you're like, I'm just going to walk off this cliff. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so I mean, it wasn't the only reason I moved, but it was part of the reason where I said, I think I got to get out of this place. I love, so then when you did move to New York, did you have kind of a separation between your social life yeah. and work? So you found like some of it. That's a huge 
huge thing for entrepreneurs. I mean, I felt I was guilty when I first started my business. My free time, my social time, everything involved starting my yeah. business and running my business. I didn't have recreation. I mean, I remember somebody said, what do you do for fun? And I was like, but this is fun. My business yeah. is fun. And they're like, no, like, what do you do? Out and I... I'm in fact we were this is something I was going to talk about uh, but I'll share it with you and I'll share it with my with everybody listening as well is that I this year I made a decision that I was only going to work like 30 hours a week right mm. which is a big deal for me so I was like okay I'm only going to work 30 hours a week and I did I've only been working 30 hours a week but I had zero plans for all the free time uh. that I was freeing up right and I fell into a like a depression. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. And I was really sad. Like I was going to bed early. I was like crying. Mm. I was like, and everything's going great in my business. And I was like, what? So I, you know, there, thank goodness for therapy. Right? right. And I was talking about it and it, I, I had no hobby. I didn't know who I was outside of the business mm. anymore. I didn't have the hobbies or the, um, the anything to recreation or fun that was not related to work and that was like really hurting me and so now I'm kind of rediscovering myself I'm actually going to sign up for an improv class and an acting class but like doing all of this stuff to kind of reconnect like well who is Rita like in a fun recreational mm. non business way it was a really hard place to to be to not have that separation of business but I didn't I didn't know how much right so did mm. did you notice a big difference when you moved out to New York and you did have something and people and friends that were just nothing to do yeah with? it's way yeah I mean I've been here now 10 years uh so much better I uh my I would be my work career would be better there are more jobs in LA for me but I am much happier cobbling together or hobbling it's got to be cobbling I don't think hobbling is even a word. I don't think hobbling is something you want to yeah. do. But hobbling is uh, yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm much happier uh, amalgamating these uh, weird jobs and having friends that do weird things versus just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I could be. Did you, have fr- did you have friends in New York when you decided to move I did, there? yeah. I okay. had uh, friends from high school and then. Okay. Yeah. family friends oh like eric, eric did it Grant, without, yeah. yeah okay yeah so okay yeah and you did have so that yeah so that i mean that's so important and that's something i'm le- rediscovering and learning now is the importance of that um so i want to talk to you about a, one of your creations right because yeah. you created this game show um and it was picked up by ifc i couldn't I could not uh, watch it back then because I did not have that channel. I was like looking everywhere for it. I'm like, who? But the one cable company I had did not carry that channel. But this is like in 2012, you created a game show called Bunk. And what what I find the most fascinating about the show is that like it's all fake. Like it's fake, but it's not. Right. So everything is fake. There are no real prizes. Mm. There's no real anything. Right. But like this creation and the way that it was created and how it was fake is the most authentic Ethan T. Berlin thing, right, that I've ever, I've ever seen. And it's like, as I was reading about it, like, you had to go that route to be able to be authentic to you and the comedy you wanted to create. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more about when you, like, how that creation came to be and why it was that you were like, we're going to do something so non-traditional for Mm. this game show and put it up for the world to see? Yeah, I was working on a MTV pilot doing writing a comedy game show for them. And I was writing really funny stuff that they kept getting rejected because that was a real game show. And they said, oh, this violates the rules. And I was like, yeah, but this would be a lot funnier. 
And then when that show ended, I basically said, well, I would like to do a game show where it was just the funny part. And I don't really care about the rest of it, how game showy it is. And I talked to Eric Bryant, who we already mentioned, who is a friend from high school. We've worked on stuff for a long time and kind of pitched him the idea that I had. He was interested. And then he and I started gathering friends that we had through the comedy community in New York. And we started doing workshops first in my apartment where we would gather a few people and we would play through the game show. If you didn't, if you haven't seen it, because you're Rita and you're the only person in the world who hasn't <laughs> seen it, uh, Bunk was a comedy game show. There were three contestants who were each comedians. Uh, it was hosted by Kurt Braunohler, and there were challenges like uh, shame this puppy, and you had a live puppy in front of you, and you had to deliver, you had to insult the puppy to its face, or. Uh, Oh, uh, give her some arms. You were given a drawing of a uh, oh, Venus de Milo. And then you had to uh, just draw arms on her uh, based on what you thought they should be. So it was like. I did. I did see something about yeah. you shaming puppies. We did I shame puppies. That. I feel like we started that trend. It has now caught on. Yeah, I mean that's it. You should have gotten some some. You should have trademarked that or whatever. <laughs> you that know was what? insane. Mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we so we you know we would do these workshops in my apartment where we would just have three friends and well it wasn't three friends immediately. I mean like we that's the ultimate format. But we figured out the format. We put on some live shows. We would rent a theater in New York and put on live shows, and then eventually we got it to a place we liked it. Uh, we begged and borrowed favors to shoot it, and uh, we put in some money into it. Eric put in more, by the way. Uh, yeah. I have to say that. And then uh, Eric is a graphic designer by trade, so he had he got the set. The set looked great because he was able to get a lot of favors, and uh, we submitted that to something called the New York Television Festival, and it got in. Uh, IFC was there, some execs. They saw it, they loved it, and they said, uh, See, this is interesting. They said, You know, we want to do this show. Uh, and then we didn't win like the festival competition. And I, even though they had said this, I was still depressed that we didn't win. And then I was like, Yeah, who knows? Maybe this thing won't happen. And then it did. And like two months later, they called us and were like, Hey, let's figure this out. I, lo- I love this story. I love, I love hearing. All of the steps mm. because a lot of people just assume, oh, I have an idea for a show, so yeah. I'm just going to go pitch it to the network. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> network, yeah. right? I came up with a great idea, and now I'm just going to pitch it. And why aren't they picking up my show? Yeah. Why aren't they like – this is such a I, – especially as a dating coach, when I worked as a dating coach, mm. I was in that world where every dating coach at the time wanted some kind of – TV show mm. about love and, and dating. And they were doing, they were like, well, I, I don't get it. I wrote a letter to the network <laughs> and said, this is a great idea. You should totally do it. And then they didn't pick, pick it up. So I love all of the pieces of like, we created it and then we had friends and then we practiced it and then we, and we turned it into a live mm. show and then we took it to a festival. Is that the normal, like what is a normal path for somebody to kind of take an idea that they're having in their head and bring it to where it might even remotely land on the desk of somebody who might even remotely consider it. Yeah. The thing I say is you always need something to show and somebody to see it. You have to make something and you have to have someone see that thing you made. 
So that can be many different things. It could be some people now, it's just a series of funny tweets. And somebody will see them who will start following them, who's in the position to hire. And people are getting jobs writing comedy just from being funny on the internet. Uh, for some people like Eric and I, we made this show. There are people getting shows from podcasts where, again, you're making this thing. It's public, uh, doing sketch shows, doing stand-up shows, anything that you're doing that's consistent and shows who you are and what you can do is huge because then people see it and say, oh, I know who you are. I, this is what I need, even though it's much easier if you can make the thing because then people can see it and say, oh, I didn't even know this was what I needed uh, and this is what I want. But if it's more, if you're just saying I have this idea, it's hard for people to understand it. If you're able yeah. to present it to them, it's a lot easier. Yeah, they can they can conceptualize it. And I love I mean, consistency is there aren't secrets to success. There aren't keys to sit, but like consistency and just being showing up again. It's the idea that don't let yourself get derailed because you're not seeing the results. I Did you listen to you might not have um, episode like it was my episode three with Paul Brunson? No. about OK, so he uh, he was telling about how he got discovered by Oprah, right? He hosted a show called Love Town USA with Oprah on the Oprah Network. And he was a he was one of the number one matchmakers like in the country after that. But before that, he was just a matchmaker sure. starting his business and a way to launch his business. He came up with a YouTube show and he went all out like he invested in it and got great equipment mm. and, you know, everything. And, and they were really producing it well. And he put it out on YouTube for all to see. And he's like, we had like 11 viewers yeah. right he's like and i knew one of them was my mom yeah. so like we had 10 viewers he said but here's the thing we put out episode yeah. after episode after episode and guess who one of the 10 viewers was freaking oprah winfrey right. who was looking for a co-host for this show and it was you know it, it, and it was even a little more than that and that he said the reason that oprah saw the show was one of her assistants who paul had coached for free because when he decided to do or matched me for free he said the best way to launch my business was to take away the paywall and just work for free and mm. get some people so that person showed oprah who was watching and oprah said the reason that I contacted you to have you come out for the interview is because you kept going and you stayed consistent. I mm -hmm. wanted to see, is he the real deal or is this a flash in the pan, yeah. right? So like showing up, if he had let 11 viewers derail him, he would have never, he wouldn't be where he is right now. One tip I have for that, hot tip, and this is something I've had to learn and still learning, uh, make a bunch of stuff before you share it. I don't know if you did this for your podcast, but I would do this thing where I'd ha be excited about an idea. I would make one and post it online. And then no matter what the response was, in my mind, it was like, even if like, I don't know, huge numbers of friends, like even if like 40 friends were like, this is great. I'd still be like, well, this is supposed to have millions of people liking it. So this isn't very good. But, and then I give up on it. But if I found that if I have 10 of them already made, then at least I'm like, well, I've already made these 10. I might as well keep yes. posting them. Who knows? Yes, that's what I did. I did batch a lot of episodes yeah. of and then just released a lot of them all at one time because I and they were interviews so that mm. I knew other people were expecting me to air yeah. these interviews. Right, right. right. So I had to do it for them, if not for me. So I, I, I wrote that down. I circled it like three. If I circle something three times. Well, I got a triple circle. Yeah, triple circle. <laughs> right, I got another one for you. Can I give you another? Yeah, okay. All right, yeah, so please. this is another thing. 
Uh, you talked, we've talked a lot about giving up uh, and no's. Uh, one thing I've had to learn, and it took me a long time to learn, was finding the yes in the no. And I'll give you uh, an example. So I made, so at various points, it's a recurring theme in my career is how do I work less? Uh, when you're writing on TV shows, it's again, uh, you're there 16 hours a day. It's very, very grueling. And now I have kids and it's like, how do I transition my skills that I have to something where I can work less? So one of my schemes was I was going to make uh, funny iPhone apps. And this was, the, I was like, oh, this market is wide open. I'm going to do it. And so I made a funny calculator app during a break in between shows. And again, it was the same thing where I released it. I was like, this is the best thing ever. And then, you know, (laughs) there was like 40 downloads. And I I was like, this is what is happening. My my new career, my new business wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then one thing that happens when you make a funny, it was a funny calculator app. When you make a funny calculator app, you like to show it off at parties. And I was showing it off at a kid's New Year's party. And uh, there was a woman there who I didn't know. And she really loved it. And she took me aside and she said, you know, I'm a kid's book editor. This is really funny. We're always looking for funny people to write and in the past when i was younger i would have been like yeah i don't want to write kids books i want to make funny iphone apps thank you so much it's very... but at this point i was like wait this is this <laughs> is one i was had kids and i was reading books to them every night so i had a lot of thoughts on kids books and then the other one was like wait this is sort of what i want to do if i could write kids books this would be my using the skills that I already have in a way that doesn't require as many hours. And so like, I just, we, I asked her all these questions. What does it look like? What do you need to see? And then I, over the next couple of months, I wrote two or three of them and then kept sending them to her. And one made it the hugely woogly spider. One, one made it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading it this morning again. I was reading it over my copy. I, I love the hugely woogly spider. Like that, the link is going to be in the show notes, everybody. You have to get, I don't care if you're an adult, if you're a kid, like get the book. But, you know, I remember the first time reading it, like I wanted to cry because I totally self-identified with like the big spider, right? So for for the, 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 the spoiler alert, guys, if you don't like to be spoiled, right, hit like forward by like 30 seconds if you don't want to know what the book's about. But it's, you know, the Incy Bitsy spider, all these spiders are going up the water spout and there was a a bigger, you know, a a more pleasantly plump sized um, spider who really wanted to go up the water spout and was like nervous too and all this stuff, but really, really wanted to. And then finally got the nerve up to be like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then didn't fit into the water spout. Right now there's more to it than that. But that's where I was like, oh my God, because I was that like pleasantly plump like person. And I remember there there were one or two things where I was like, okay, I was so nervous to do it. And then I was going to do it. And then I did, and I couldn't do it because of my physical shape. And I was like, oh my God, this spider is killing me. Like I'm so like, I literally wanted to cry. I was like, oh my God, this is like my childhood, like brought back up all over again. But what I love about that story and where I think it applies to entrepreneurs is here's the spoiler alert part. He realized, right? 
the rain was coming and we all know how that ends, right? It washes the spiders out. And he went and sat on top of the gutter spout so that the, the rain wouldn't go down. And he saved like he saved the other spider. So he realized like he wanted to be like yep. everybody else, but his purpose was to be something different, right? His strength and his skill was something different. Yep. And I think that that's such a powerful message for everybody, not just kids, right? Like, so how did, where did that story come from? Was that like a internal kind of like, did it, was it based on anything in Ethan's life or everything in Ethan's life or what? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, so I had this unofficial assignment of there is an opportunity of someone has someone specifically who is in charge of buying books has told me she wants me to write books. Yeah. Uh, so I was definitely focusing all the time on like, oh, that's an idea. And just writing down like on my phone. I'm a big user of Evernote. Yes, plug yes. For them. Yep, yep. Uh, so I was just writing ideas down and I was singing to my, I guess my son was probably three then in the bath. I was just singing the Itsy Bitsy Spider to him. And then uh, I, too, was a, a heavy child uh, and uh, adult and uh, old person. Uh, and I thought, well, if there was an itsy bitsy spider, there must have been a hugely woogly spider. And then I just, uh, I don't know if it was that. I wrote that idea down, just the hugely woogly spider. And then I think the next night, it was in the middle of the morning, and we had a, a newborn at that time, and I was... Uh, feeding him a bottle in the middle of the night and I was feeding him with one hand and the other hand I was I wrote the first draft on my phone in the other hand and I think when that was I wrote it all very quickly in tv you get used to writing very very quickly uh, so I watched I, Thirty Rock, so yeah. I totally know. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. It's like that. <laughs> and Tina Fey was there. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, so I just I, I wrote the whole thing, uh, and then I spent you know maybe a couple of weeks revising it and sharing it with friends, and then I sent it in. But yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's incredible. And you do, you now, there are other things that you do in the children's genre as well, right? You have a podcast, right? Uh, you podcast, did Pants yeah, on Fire. Pants on Fire. So guys, all the there. podcast listeners out here, it's really easy to go listen to another podcast. Tell me a little bit about that podcast, though, because it's, you know, who the target audience is kids, right? For it's that. kids, yeah. Uh, that was just another thing, just saying yes to things. Uh, a friend of mine from actually a friend of my wife's uh, now she's my friend haha <laughs> <laughs> uh, from town was she and some other people were starting this podcast and they asked if I wanted to be a sidekick on it I we said yes because I want to perform more uh, which is one of my goals and uh, yeah we did a pilot and this company Gen Z is making they're in my town and they make podcasts for kids. I've had some success with some things and yeah, it's uh, it's doing well. We've done, I don't know how many, I think we've done like 80 of them. There's something else uh, I saw on YouTube too. The, the a YouTube show with, with kids. Oh yeah. I do a pod, a uh, local access show with kids in town. I love local access TV. I always have a, since high school, and I found out I wanted to start a local access channel in my town. And then I found out there was one. It's at the high school. <laughs> okay. They have a studio. And so I do a show where I interview uh, kindergartners through second graders 
uh, a talk show where I interview them about items that are special to them called Soma Show and Tell. Soma is the, the area we live in. And I think we've done seven or eight of them now. And they're fun and goofy and weird. Yeah. And fun. I love, so what I really like, no matter what you're doing, like the game show that you talk about mm. or the book or the podcast for kids, right? Like it's so tapped into who you are, right? Like mm. who you are. It's very authentically you. There's nothing that I see that you do or read that you do that I'm not like, of course, of course he's mm. doing that. Of course that, that that's the way it sounds. Of course this is because that's, that's Ethan, right? So yeah. how in an industry, right? In the, where the, and I'm just stereotyping from everything, you know, but like where the opposite is almost true, where every, mm. even the things that are real on TV aren't real, right? Everything yeah, yeah. is fake. How have you been able to like tap into your sense of self and who you are and stay true to that while still like climbing the ladder and being successful? And, and how have you, have you ever been in a situation where you were tempted to like say, I'm going to follow the money or I'm going to do this opportunity and let go of who I am? Or I know mm. that that's just something a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with too, to mm. not get wrapped up in copying someone else or saying yes to opportunities that aren't in alignment with their values and deviating from who they are. But you just haven't, you haven't really done that. So I'm just curious about your, your how that's all. Well, Rita, I'm going to, I'm going to shock you to your core. Oh, um you were in magic mike <laughs> I, I, well, I said it was the inspiration for it uh in the audience uh yeah no i've done a ton of stuff that uh i is not in my voice that i don't care about that uh i do just to make money yeah uh and through that i the thing i take away from myself is i'm learning how to make things so I get a lot of jobs. And one thing that the benefit of success has had is that for me is that I can now, I can't turn down every job I don't want to do, but I've had more ability to turn down things that I don't want to do. And I've also had the uh, wisdom to when I'm in a situation where there's something I don't want to do is what can I learn from this? What do I get? How do I, what do I get from me out of this other than the paycheck? Uh, how do, what can I learn out of this? What connection can I make out of this? And what opportunity is there here that I, Hey, this show might be boring to me and I don't care about it, but who can I impress on this show with my ability that I can then call in two months and be like, Hey, I have this show idea and they like me because I did a great job on this thing that, nobody cares about. <laughs> I, I, I love, but that's such an important way of thinking. I was talking to somebody the other day who somebody had mentioned that they had been at a conference and there was a speaker mm. and she was like, yeah, but the speaker wasn't any good. She was really boring. Mm. And I was like, well, what, what did she like talk about? She's like, I don't know. I tuned her out. I was doing something else. And I said, here's the thing, right? Like if you really want to be a speaker, then the mm. best thing you can do is when you're sitting in an audience with another speaker, say, why is she doing what she's doing? Yeah, why is sure. she saying what, she, how is she doing it? Like what's different? Like, and even just like good for her getting up there. Right. And like, do it. but if you're not thinking on that next level, right. And you're only thinking on mm. the subs, like, I already know this. I don't need to listen. I already know this information. Like she's just giving me basic stuff. Instead. It's like, but how is she doing it? Why is she right. doing it? Right. Like such an important second level of listening and watching and observing that I think people don't do enough of. Yeah. I'm sympathetic because for a long time I had a bad attitude and was like, hey, this isn't what I want to do. 
And that's what fueled me to do stuff that I do want to do. There's this constant like, oh, my God, if I don't make something, then I'm going to have to do that job that I don't want to do. Well, and I think it also helps you see what you like and who you are when you're doing something out of alignment with your voice or Mm. your values. Like, don't I think you become more clear about, well, that's not me. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do a game show that has lawyers and like all this red tape. Right. It makes it more clear. Um, let's talk a little bit about comedy, right? Let's, let's talk a little bit about comedy, comedy and stand up. Because I shared a, st- a video right on today yeah. on YouTube of you doing like this stand up routine, but like mm-hmm. stand up comedy terrifies me. Well, improv also. Yeah, me too. So, so in in school when we were in theater, I had no problems with being in plays, right? Scripts and mm-hmm. and um, even if I had to, I remember we were doing a play, Ten Little Indians, and. Yeah. And Eric Ashton, who was playing like the lead detective, mm-hmm. forgot his line and <sighs> it was completely quiet. And I made up a line and everybody Whoa. laughed. And it was just like my one moment of improv that nice. like, but but I was like, oh my God, like, I, I don't know that I could do that ever again. So to improv, mm-hmm. comedy, stand up, all of that completely terrifies me. Um, and yet you're, you know, you're teaching it. You're so good at mm-hmm. it. And I think, I do think it's an important these are important skills that are embedded for entrepreneurs and for business. So t- tell me, like, what is your favorite part of comedy? What is your favorite part of improv? Because Im- improv's a little different than stand-up comedy. Like, mm. what do you love about it? Do you love being on stage? Do you love connecting with an audience? Like, what is it that you really love about that? Uh, I mean, yeah, certainly I love attention. Uh, <laughs> which yeah. fuels most of what I do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, improv, I like, is just a game to me. It's just, um, uh, can you keep uh, this ball in the air? Like how, like a team of people are trying to keep this balloon that you're trying to, don't let it hit the ground. And it's just fun to, what are ways that you can keep this thing going, make connections to other things, justify th- mistakes, so what, so-called mistakes. Yeah. What can help make somebody good at improv, right? Because I, I think mm. I know why back in the day when I tried, mm. but it was a long time ago, that I try, I was not really thinking of it like a team, right? I was thinking mm. of it like, oh, it's me and it's all about me. Yeah, but, yeah. Right? but what do you think makes somebody good at the skill of improvisation because mm. because improv really to me is being able to make a decision in a split second right that like mm. that's what it is it's like th- and i think that that's such an important skill to have what makes somebody good at improv hmm. yeah i mean it's one of the core tenets is is saying yes it's just the ability to say yes to things you know in improv the core is yes and you're supposed to say yes and then add something we're all so trained to say no to everything and just the ability to say yeah i'll i'll go with this i don't know where this is going but it uh sure let's let's have a a fun activity where we all agree just to agree with each other and let's follow with this to its logical conclusion. That is really fun to do and freeing to do. And when I took uh, improv, I didn't take improv formally uh, until my 30s. And it was hugely transformational just to help me 
like taking those things that I learned in improv and then applying them to my life of like, I, I don't necessarily want to do whatever this activity is, but I'll say yes to it because who knows, let's see where it goes and it could be fun. And the same with job opportunities. And then the other thing I would say, you know, I mean, this is, I'm not making any groundbreaking thing, but uh, listening is just, I mean, that's one of the keys of improv of just listening to what other people are saying and not necessarily be worrying about what you're going to say. And that's something I'm trying to, I, there, there are things that can help you cultivate that skill. Mm -hmm. And I'm as an interviewer in podcasting right now, I'm mm -hmm. trying to like really improve my interview skills. So I'm reading mm -hmm. a lot of books by some of the top notch interviewers mm -hmm. and like, you know, but listening is our society's trained us not to listen. Right. And so getting back into it. So I love though, what you said about, um, just the saying yes, because one thing I want to show is it can sound very easy, like these opportunities just fell into your lap, right? Which mm -hmm. is like, um, oh, I was just at this party and this woman yeah. just said this thing. But like, you just kept saying, yeah, you were sure I'll make an app. And yes, there's this thing. Yeah. And sure, I'll write a book. It's just like you kept showing up. You kept saying yes. And you just kept, you know, p putting yourself in out there in places. And you kind of created these opportunities. Yes. And it took me a long time to learn that. I'm sure if we did like a uh, Christmas carol, this is your life going back, I'm sure there were dozens of times where there was somebody who was in a position was saying, hey, we're looking for, where I, I was like, I want to do a sketch show. And they're like, uh, you know what? We're really looking for a puppet show. And I was like, ah, well, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, right? Because you were so attacked. Like that, yeah. And that's what you said, right? About the just be open. And I don't know where this is going to go, yeah. but I'm willing to explore it. I think that's such a... Now, stand-up comedy is a little different. Right? Yeah. What I love about stand-up comedy, which the, the inside when I wish I could do it, is good comedians can really read an audience and mm -hmm. read people really well and adjust things accordingly, right? So what do you think makes one comedian really good versus like the comedians that just bomb? What are some of the differences between, mm. no, like when you sit back and look, you're like, they're good because they do these things or they have these this ability and those people aren't doing it and they're not going to get very far. Hmm. I don't, you know what? I don't know enough about it. Uh, stand-up. I'm just getting into stand-up. I don't know if I'm good at answering that. Okay. Well, what about comedy in general, right? Just even, even just being a comedian in mm -hmm. general through, you know, timing or through, oh, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's just like you're just born good or you're not, or maybe it's like, no, like it's really somebody who's learning how to do this or, you know, they might not even realize it, but this is what they're doing. Cause you, you teach people, right? You're teaching yeah. people this skill. So I can't imagine everybody that signs up for your class is just inherently good at comedy, right? So, right. so, and maybe this is more applicable to my audience, the entrepreneurs mm -hmm. who might be like, I wish I could put more humor into my writing or I want to public mm -hmm. speak more and I wish that I could insert humor into my public speaking or I wish that I could, you know, be funny in a podcast, but I'm always so serious mm -hmm. or I'm so stressed out about speaking or I'm so how, and I don't even know what my voice would be to be funny how are you mm. teaching your your students to do that then yeah so when i teach i teach a couple of different classes but for i teach comedy writing classes uh, at various places and the students are of various backgrounds there are some people who are you know mostly write what i call depression plays where it's you know like 
the main character always kills himself at the end. <laughs> um, or and then there's you know some people who are like I want to do comedy for a living, and a lot of it is just I don't think I can. You know, people. There have been people who have been like, "You have to make me funny," and I feel like I can make people funnier by pointing them in the right direction. But I don't. I think each person has their just their own innate sense of humor, and I do think everyone is funny. There are some people who are like I'm not funny, and I'm like, "No, I think you're funny." Uh, I bet you make somebody laugh, even if it's yourself in the shower or or whatever it is. And I'm just there to try and help people see what they're what obstacles they're putting in their way. So let's t- that's what I want. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? How do you like, yeah. if there's somebody listening right now, like, wow, like Ethan might think I'm funny and I really don't think you're anybody, funny. <laughs> anybody yeah. else thinks I'm funny. But yeah, how would you say like, let's uncover an obstacle. That's kind of, yeah. Different. I mean, one, you got to do it. You got to write. So you're never going to get, or if it's performing, you got to do the thing because you're never even going to see what's in your way. If you don't do it. Oh, God. Everybody then, who knows me is like, yeah. Ethan just made Rita the happiest person oh. in the world. Because that's Oh, my, yeah. Rita made me do it. Well, yeah. I, well, also, you can only think your way to something so yes. far. You yeah. have... The only other way to get clear and get clarity and get good is yeah. to do the damn thing. You've got to do yeah. it, right? You got to do it. And then you have to share it with someone. Uh, you could share... You know, if you're in a class... I prefer classes. I, I When I wanted to do stand-up, I took a class and friends of mine who were stand-ups made fun of me. And I was like, I don't I don't care. Uh, this is how I feel safe doing it. Yeah, because then you write, I can look at it and say... I mean, a lot of it's super minor stuff. Like, hey, you're talking about something that happened to you and has never happened to anyone else. You just have to let us in. Give us some context. Do the setup. Like, if we don't know what you're talking about, we're not going to laugh. But if you can give us the setup and let us know what we need to know, then we're going to laugh the same way you're laughing. And I mean, there's also just like, I mean, the easiest thing that I learned from a, a very funny roast writer writes for all the roasts was just put the funny part at the end of the sentence. He said, he was like, I'm not a very funny guy. Like I just learned the math of jokes. And the thing I can see, if you give me a dozen jokes, and the ones that aren't going to get laughs, if there are, if the joke is in the middle of the sentence, and then there's other lines and other words after it, people aren't going to laugh because they're going to not know when to laugh. So a lot of it is just me teaching people the basics of, oh, just do this, just do this, and then once you get that in your head by doing it uh, repeatedly. It becomes a muscle memory. I, there are a lot of entrepreneur yeah. tidbits in there that you put in there that don't, but like it really is about just doing it and then mm. sharing it with someone, being open to feedback, mm. right? Being open, like it's vulnerable in both pieces, vulnerable in what you're sharing and vulnerable to say, okay, I can do this better, I can do this differently, and trying it and doing it and learning it. But then I like the part about, Otherwise, people aren't going to know when to laugh. Like you have to, you have to provide that moment. You you almost have to tell people what to do. Like in such a like, this is the time that you laugh, right? Like like, this is the moment, right? It's the same thing in business. It's like, and this is the time you tell me if you want to work with me or not, right? Like I have to call that out, or people won't know when to to do that. Like when's the moment that I would work with you, or when's the moment that I wouldn't? So there, there's just so much uh, similarity between I think comedy and uh, like through storytelling and needing a thick skin. I mean, we could do a whole 
whole series on like comedy and entrepreneurship, right? I, what I would love is if you're ever in the DC area, if you would come teach like maybe an improv or some kind of comedy class to some of my entrepreneur, you know, community who's out here. Cause I know that that's something that people are really wanting is they want to be mm. more in the moment. They want to not be worried about other people's opinions. They're wanting to have more fun. They're wanting to think more creatively. And I just don't think entrepreneurship the way it is right now and the, the stress that comes with it provides a lot of opportunities for that. You have to go somewhere right. like comedy, right? Uh, but those skills will carry far. So you should come teach. You should, you should come to DC. And I know. Yeah. I'd love to That's know what, what people, you could provide this or listeners can tell me what they would like to learn. Or what? Yeah. I mean, e email feedback at readamimidoit.com and let us know, like, is improv something you've wanted to try? Do you know that that would help you? Is comedy something you're wanting to do more of in your content or in your presentations when you're going out to speak to grow your business? Or do you just feel like you it would help you communicate and connect and relate to people better at an important meeting? Or if you just felt like you were able to relax a little and, and be a little more kind of like, or do you feel like you struggle with finding your voice, right? Because I think these are all things that Ethan uh, can teach through the through what what he knows you know how to do what he, what he does so well and i do i do think you, oh, you do it well so um i guess at the end of the day just like going forward what what's your what's your vision for what's next you said you want to start performing yeah that's the thing i've been kind of afraid of for many years and have been forcing myself to do that's why that youtube stand-up video was i forced myself to take a stand-up class and that's something I'm working on. I'm trying to pitch more shows where I'm uh, the host. I'm trying to get up the nerve. There's a show I really want to do where I just uh, sell. I love QVC and Home Shopping Club uh, Network. Uh, uh -huh. And I want to do a show where I just sell stuff from my basement, my old stuff. Uh, and I'm just trying to get the nerve up to do it. And... That's a community yeah. access show. I would wa I would watch it on Channel Old 8 Warner in Cable, Fairfax, Chelton, and Fairfax, yeah. good old Warner Cable. <laughs> I, yeah. I would watch that on that channel. I would watch it on any channel because it would be fun. But like, so you say I'm trying to yeah. get the nerve up to do it. What's what's the I'm just Yeah, curious. there's what's a the couple block of blocks. There? One is just I'm like, uh, I got to do it as a live. Like, there's, you know, I, there's some uh, stuff I'm aware that I'm uh, letting myself put up blocks like getting into the technical minutia of like what uh, platform should I do it on? What software should I use? And I'm know myself well enough now that I'm like, when I was younger, I was like, these are important questions we have to answer. Now I'm like, I don't think it matters one way or another. And I'm just uh, afraid of doing it. Yeah, That's just these, your distraction, yeah. right? Tech, tech is always sure, yeah. the distraction for people. Like it's always the easy thing to be like, well, logistically yeah. and technically, I don't know. So I it can't do matter. it until I figure these it things really, out. Yeah, it really, really doesn't, doesn't matter. matter I mean, right? I, you know, when I talk to students now, I'm like, just shoot it on your phone. Like your your phone is so far, more far advanced than anything in the history of technology of making things. Just do it on your phone. Just do it on Facebook yeah. Live. Just shoot on it. Do a Facebook Live from your phone, like, and you know everybody will watch it, and then have your phone number and yeah. have your phone next to you and just take calls and sell stuff, right? Like, Ethan, if people want to know more about you and follow you, where can uh, they find just, you? Uh, look around my community. I'll be there. 
you can go to my website, ethantberlin.com. You can follow me at Twitter uh, on Twitter at Ethan T. Berlin. Uh, yeah, those are the. Do people still use Twitter? What? Oh, do people uh, not? So oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a Gen Zer, so I mean, I'm, I'm not a Gen Zer. I'm a Gen Xer, and so like it's like I know I tried, right? Like Gen Xer, we're yeah. so out of touch with all the things. But um, I'm a Facebook yeah. girl because of my community, and I maybe have dabbled in Instagram a little bit. Twitter seems so for. I mean, I know yeah. how to use it. it seems for to me, but Twitter is is your platform. That's where yeah, you're semi-active. I, I uh, it's a rough <laughs> it's a rough town right now on Twitter. <laughs> it's all depressing it's stuff. Uh, uh, you're right. You're right. Like everything right now is depressing. So um, there's a way that I kind of end some of these. I just do like these not yeah. rapid fire, but kind of quick questions. I don't want you to overthink it. Okay. I just kind of want you to add. Right. So if you had to give a motto to live life by to everybody, what would the watch out be? Um, <laughs> a motto. <laughs> uh, be grateful. Yeah. Be grateful. I like it. What's on your podcast playlist right now? Uh, yeah. I've been well. One, I have been listening to yours a lot because I'm like, oh, this is something I need to hear right now. Uh, I've <laughs> oh. been listening to "You Need a Budget" podcast. I've gotten real into budgeting. Uh, it's <laughs> terrifying and nerdy. Uh, I've uh, on a mission is a, a podcast from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I really like, and uh, I would also say, of course, my own uh, podcast, Pants on Fire, which is, uh, if you if people listening have kids, uh, they are like five-year-old to 12-year-old, they'll, they'll love it. It's, it's great for car rides. Okay. And it's hard to find, like, yeah. kid-friendly stuff anymore yeah. to listen to and put on yeah. in the car or something. So I love that. Um, what books are on A your nightstand? A lot of books. Uh, well, I mean, uh, like, too many books. It's sloppy. Uh, right now, I'm reading uh, "Dragon Riders of Pern" by Anne McCarthy. Anne McCarthy. It's a fantasy series that my mom loved as a kid, and she, I'm trying to read that. It's uh, getting real into dragons. Uh, what else is on there? A lot of kids' psychology books from being a dad. Okay. Oh. I do remember reading somewhere that you said if you could have been anything else yeah. but what you do now, it would have been yeah. a psychologist. Yeah, Is it seems great? like fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know yeah. my therapist it's, has a good time with me. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, no, I don't. Yeah, I find yeah. it interesting for sure. Uh, yeah. But then yeah. when they're, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would probably just I'd be like, can we talk more about me? There's a lot about you. Yeah. Just need to talk all about me. So what is something that people would be surprised to learn about you? What's one thing that people would just be like, oh, my gosh, no way. I didn't know that about Ethan. Sadly, I'm a nice person, I would say. Uh, no, I don't Everybody think so. I think uh, I think I give off the impression that I'm not. I'm a nice person who cares about things. Uh, huh, maybe I'm not. I don't know. Uh, does that count? Yeah, I think I think uh, people <laughs> yeah, think I don't sure. care about things because I make jokes, but uh, I care about a lot of stuff. Yes, that's true. Right? You are very. I mean, mm. this is your personality since the day yeah. I met you. Is just the jokester and the comedian, right? But the, like, yeah. there's something deeper. I think somewhere, you know, all of that. That 
some yeah. of us who know have known you for a long time know that, right? But people who would oh, yeah. just hear you out in the world might might not pick up on that. So, Ethan, I am so grateful that you were here. There's just there's so many takeaways and nuggets that I know are going to help so many people. Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much for joining me and um we will get together and do something when you are here in town and uh yeah everybody go check out ethan's webpage go uh buy his book listen to his podcast uh follow him on facebook because he's gonna do like in the next week or so where he's gonna get on facebook live and sell things from his basement so like everybody find him on facebook i'll put all the links in the show notes and uh yeah i mean look he's a famous people who knows knows? what he's got in that basement Yeah, there's a bunch of famous people I'm selling in my basement. And then, Ethan, I'll probably be hiring you soon. All right, I'm ready. Also, people, if you're listening, (laughs) add me to your will. You know? Oh, yeah. Please please add Ethan to your will. It doesn't mean anything to you right now, but it could mean a great deal to me down the road. Yeah. Yeah, Middle initial T is in Tom, not get it notarized and signed, or otherwise. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Ethan. Bye. And everyone, I will talk to you next week on another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Rita Mimi Do It Show. And my goal is to share this business-boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month, one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser-focused and go all-in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to readamamedoit.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.